A man with a stroller beat me in a 5K. Welcome to episode three of The Failure Show. I'm Ben Frank. I'm Ida Knox. And uh, we gotta, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. We have a pretty awesome guest with us today, a uh, professional He's comedian. He's fist yeah, <laughs> yeah. comedian, podcaster, author, television personality, and former ice cream mogul. Did yes. I, did I miss anything? Professional podcaster makes it sound like... I think I said podcaster. I don't think I... I said professional podcaster. I did not... accused you of being a professional. The professional only applied to comedian. I would... Okay, yeah. I don't think you missed anything. Okay. So, yeah, that's Turner Sparks. Turner Sparks. He used to live here in China for 12 years, but he just moved back to the U.S. about five, six months ago? Yeah, six months ago, I think. Yeah, August. Yeah, yeah. That's about it's about six months. Yeah, and uh, you're just back for for several weeks now in in China. I'm here. Yeah, I'm here uh, because uh, my wife is still waiting on a green card. Yeah, to come to America. And uh, good what time a, for that. What a great time to do it, right? Yeah. 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 So I'm back here for the month, but I'm going back in a couple days back to New York. But yeah. I've been here for the month, Chinese New Year, uh, doing the whole thing oh, with cool. uh, my new family. Yeah. Oh, so how was it after after being in New York now for six months after being here for 12 years. What's what's it like being back? Is it strange? Is it fun? It doesn't have to be. Yeah, fun. it's both. Well, it's cold, um, <laughs> number one. Because here's the thing. it's you get What's weird is I was, yeah, I was here for 12 years, and I've only been there a few months, but you get used to, like, insulation immediately, you know? Mm. And you come back here, and uh, it's just, like, cold a lot of the times indoors. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, but it is no, fun. No, no. Heating for the most part, in the or world. heating, but yeah, but then it goes away once the heater goes off, you know. Yeah. So um, no, but it has been fun, and uh, the shows have been cool. Been doing shows. It's good to like come back, and then people like, because you're always like, well, no, one, even if it's like six months, you're like, no one's gonna know who I am yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone know who assume, you are anymore? Yeah, people come out to shows there. and like, like see you perform, and you well, know. if you're just consistently here for twelve years, no one has time to miss you almost imperative yes. that you yeah. leave. Yeah, right? it is better to go away. Yeah. That's the whole thing. And then I was on um, CCTV huh? in America. CCTV has like an America thing, like BBC does. Yeah. Sure. And then they also have their like English language thing here. Yeah. I was on it for the first time like a few days ago, which proves your point. It's always been my point. You, If you want to be popular or like successful somewhere, leave. Yeah. You got to get out and then they, they don't miss you until you're gone. Right. right. Yeah. So that's been good. Fair. I didn't miss him until you left. So. Yeah, I some, didn't some, miss anything. Some, yeah. raw, some raw honesty. Yeah, but now you do. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. It's very true. So maybe the second um, time now when he leaves, you'll you'll yeah. you'll, you'll miss it. So Absolutely. You guys, yeah. If you want this podcast to get popular, stop doing it. I think we have to go farther than three. Three episodes. is a good number. Three. Is good. <laughs> yeah. Every time we start, and Ben is like, "Welcome to the failure show." I want to be like, "We haven't quit yet. <laughs> We're still here." I've been like episode 17 of my podcast. We it's the same way. We're like we're, we're not done. Hey, yeah, we did. We made it. Still going. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, yeah. Just just drop the mic after three episodes. People are like, oh, was that it's awesome like a, podcast? It's like a mini series for three episodes. What was up with that? Like the British Office. Yes. Yeah. Right. It, by or the time you noticed it, it was British gone. TV show. Yeah. Or, or something like uh, Freaks and Geeks. Like just one one season, and now it's like a, a cult classic. Whereas if it ran for five seasons, it would probably have been just another good TV show. Exactly. Time. Yeah. But now it's like, oh, it was railroaded. At off some the point, air. everything turns into Full House. Right. That being right. said, you should subscribe to this, and we will also be a cult classic. Is that? Can you claim that you'll be a cult classic? I feel like if you really say, likely, I mean, yes. It's really likely one of us, either Ben or I, will do something very strange and probably die young, and then I think. Get a claim, or, or you could just make this a cult, and you could actually have people religiously following you, right? Yeah. And then people you go, Oh, classic cult, classic or classic cult, one way or the other. Yeah. It's gonna get those two a combination of those two words. That's all yeah. I really want in yeah. life, just yeah. I want a, a search that involves classic and cult, I want to come yes. up in, in, in some capacity. Perfect, okay, yeah. cool. No, it's good. I don't know, yeah, we, we got a lot to get into, so I guess, um. We'll just get going with uh, our, our next segment, which is called uh, 
Unless, one thing, unless you unless you want to. I wanted to say happy birthday. Oh. It's his friend's birthday, and I had a uh, birthday present for you somewhere. But I, I was just <gasps> looking for it. I didn't know where it went. Present. So. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow, we got him. We got him. The spontaneity. And a yes. Oh. That okay. comes with podcasting. Yeah, oh. I was gonna, we were gonna get you a Carl's Jr. gift certificate Stop because it. a friend got me that on a podcast recently. That's a podcast. That but, is amazing. But I was had it, so we got chocolate. Wow, chocolate from from awfully chocolate. I wow, feel big, like that means you win yeah, that's very sweet of you. That one is like carrot, and I don't think anyone would pick carrot over the carrot cake. cake. Yeah, carrot cake versus chocolate cake. Both pretty good. No, but that's not cake. That's like little chocolates. Uh-huh. But anyway, that's what nice. I'm going to give you. So yeah. happy birthday. Nice. Thank ben you very much. today. Yeah. Well. I guess. All things are relative. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Older than Ida. Yeah. <laughs> ben is But that was true before today as always, well. Ben is still old. We'll go with Ben being old. I'm 22. Ben is <laughs> 27 now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we can, you know, we, yeah, we can just go, we can just go I back know. to whatever ages we were we all were when we first moved to china 22 yeah in that in that case I'm also I, 22 there you go. <laughs> in that case yeah i would be I 24 i'm older it's like never never yeah i don't know if that's how it works but it yeah definitely all right cool, cool. all right thank, now we can keep thank going you. that was that now was that, that was a very welcomed detour yeah of course. i uh, i appreciate <laughs> that okay well then uh without further ado let's get into uh, fail or pass fail or pass fail or pass uh, Turner, you're not overly familiar with it since this is a new <laughs> podcast. Uh, this is the I'm an avid listener. <laughs> yeah, an avid listener <laughs> at this at this point of the one the one episode that we posted at this point. Failure Pass is alternatively where we discuss recent events and talk about whether um, the person involved can be failed or passed, or just where I go off on tangents. Uh, Perfect. Usually involved yeah. in how much like people are sexist. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, great. Yeah. Exactly. It's usually yeah. involving someone. In, that's I'll take the other side of that. This will be fun. Yeah, someone that's vaguely in the news that, uh, at least vaguely in the news, that said or did something controversial, and then you got to kind of talk it through and decide for yourself whether it's a total failure, like yeah. whether this person's totally in the wrong, or whether it's somewhat justifiable and you could see right. passing them on it. Got and it. I never, ever get angry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. You got a corona. All right, all right. Who's, um, whose story is up? So what we're going to do this week, when we're recording this now, it's a, a couple days away from uh, from the Super Bowl. Yes. When the, uh, Ooh, the, the pa- sports. When the New England Patriots will play the Atlanta Falcons. By the time you people will be listening to this, it will be after the Super Bowl. So should we make predictions now on who's going to win? Just so that we sure. all have to know oh, who yeah. fucks it up. Um, Sorry, just... Yeah, I mean, I guess we can. We, we'll let the. You want to go first? We'll, get, we'll let the guests go first. So I watch like a hundred percent of college football and zero percent of NFL football. Great. So I know nothing, but um, I know that the Patriots win like every year, and um, if they're not going to win, they're going to cheat. So I'm going to go Patriots. <laughs> cool. Because they'll cheat to win. Fair um, yeah, and you know, like Trump won, so they'll probably win because that's all. They're all on the same team, as mm. far as I understand. You know. And we're started. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to go Falcons by three points. All right. Um, I am oh, I also going to go Falcons completely as a reverse jinx because I am a Patriots Yeah, fan. that's so, You don't want them to win. I don't want them to win, but it's it, it's, I'm just reverse jinxing right. them. I'm just going to go up top. Patriots by uh, two touchdowns. I'm going to say okay. four wow. points. Yeah. I'll, say, I'll say Falcons by four. All right. Touchdowns or <laughs> people rarely count touchdowns as one in football. Like I just checked. I mean, four. I guess that's also possible. Just four, just four a points. Scale of four. That's what uh, they're winning. The normal point system. Yeah. We're going to Okay, so what's what's the story? I okay. feel like you're the only person who can explain it. Okay, okay well, the, the story isn't directly related to the game, but it's tangentially related to the game. And Turner kind of just mentioned the Patriots' somewhat connection to Donald Trump as their quarterback, Tom Brady, their coach, Bill Belichick, and their owner, Robert Kraft, all have had friendships with Donald Trump at some point in the past. And Donald, at least according to Donald Trump, they are all good friends of his, but millions of people are good friends of his. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But anyways, you know, Tom Brady is one of the best known athletes in the U.S. at this point. And given that he's married to supermodel Giselle Bundchen, he has some worldwide fame that most American football players would not have. Truth. 
Um, and he, I mean, he's been, you know, famous and winning Super Bowls for 15 years. And it's really been since the Patriots first won the Super Bowl in 2001 that he's been friends with Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump invited him to be like a guest judge at one of his pageants right after they won their first Super Bowl you sure. know, in the beginning of 2002. And they've played golf somewhat regularly since then. Um, so they've, they've had a friendship over the past 15 years. And Tom Brady, you know, last fall at some point was spotted with a Make America Great Again hat in his locker. Mm -hmm. That was given to him by someone. It's not totally clear who. And recently, as all this stuff has been, you know, going on, uh, as Trump has been inaugurated and the Super Bowl is about to happen, people started to kind of ask Tom Brady about his relationship with Donald Trump. And basically what he's said is he's kind of deflected the question and been like, you know, can't you know a guy or be friends with him and not agree with everything he says and does? Like, I don't agree with everything. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people think that Tom Brady should be kind of more assertive in his, not only his disavowal of everything that Trump supports, but almost that he should publicly disavow his friendship with Donald Trump. And only that will be enough to redeem him in the eyes of um, whoever's decided that these are the rules. Sure. So with that as the context of, you know, for our fail or pass, I guess, Turner, I'll allow you to kind of pontificate on what, what you think about this situation. Okay, so first I would say that I point the finger at Donald Trump. I feel like he should have disavowed himself and Tom Brady when Deflategate happened. Because that was... <laughs> Wait, that was that is Tom a, Brady? Oh, yeah. Okay. And that was a character flaw. I don't want my president being associated with a cheater, mm -hmm. no matter who my president is. Oh, so boy. that's number one. This is going to go Turner, so if, well. if, Turner, if we're, if we're going to make this about to flake it, this is going to be like a seven-hour podcast. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And then, oh, God. Uh, secondly, I'm sure that like there were people... Because here's the thing. Okay, it is true. Trump has had a, long, a career like 30 years that has never really been a part of politics until recently, right? Or at least until the birther movement and everything. And yeah. so, of course, there's going to be people who are just friends with him because, or they like play golf with him sometimes. I'm sure there's tons of those people everywhere. I'm sure Hitler had a lot of friends early on when he was a painter. But at some point, you have to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, six, he wasn't a great painter. Here's a line, you know? And like... You have to draw a line at some point and be like, I don't think I'm, I like that guy anymore. Right. Yeah. You know? And so, um, I guess, yes, if Tom, well, it depends on what Tom Brady thinks. If Tom Brady's happy with the way the government's going, then why would he say anything negative about it? I guess he shouldn't, you know. But if he's against it, he should say he's against it. Um, if he's a decent human being, he should probably not be so Well, unless he's for it. Pro all of it. <laughs> Maybe no, he's I mean, pumped. if he's a decent human being, he probably shouldn't be for for it in all capacities, operating on all cylinders. Ben is looking at me like I've betrayed him. <laughs> no. I, mean, I know you're a Tom Brady fan. I feel like to preserve our friendship on your birthday, I should rein it in. No, I mean, this is obviously... Don't rein it in. I think this is a very difficult subject for me and anyone who roots for the New England Patriots, especially since New England is a very liberal area. Right? Like, this... Politically liberal, yes. Yeah, politi politically liberal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like this. this I mean, idea it is kind of ironic that you've got like Atlanta versus New England, and New also, England is the one coming under fire for. <laughs> that's hilarious. Right? Yeah, that's true. It's pretty ridiculous. I've got family in Atlanta, and they're all pro-Trump. So. Yeah, well, I mean, who's more? I mean, come on, who's more like Boston or Atlanta? Who's more racist? That's like a toss-up. I have no idea. That's yeah, a good point. yeah, yeah. Boston, Boston, Boston doesn't get enough credit for how racist it is. It should get more credit. Yeah, it no, it, <laughs> it, it it skates by for being in the north. Like it gets so many points for being in the north that people forget it's. It racist. was like we'll let Robert Parrish slide, but like no one else. I think the difference is that Boston is very specifically racist in a way that like Atlanta probably isn't. Atlanta is racist to anyone that's not white, right? Like you could be Asian and I Atlanta guess, would be know. like on you. Boston, like, if you're Asian, they're probably going to let you slap. Jeremy Lin can play in, in Boston, not Atlanta. <laughs> That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, like, you know, come to me if you're trying to think about where to go in the U.S. to be persecuted. I can give you tips. Yeah. I mean, so are you, are you passing him then? I feel like you're so emotionally invested in this. I well, I mean, I mean what, I, what I'm saying about this is that, like, it, it's, it, it's very difficult for anyone from New England to 
talk objectively about Tom Brady. It's a it's a very it's a very difficult task. I mean, I'm trying to think of like my favorite athlete. Like if Hulk Hogan was <laughs> against I don't know what I would do either. Definitely pro Trump. I used to watch that reality show he was on. Hogan knows best. Yes. What? You didn't know about. I've been gone for twelve years. I didn't know about a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's that's true. I left during like WrestleMania seven or something. He was like so tan at a point in my life when I really wanted to be tan. How is like skin cancer not taking that man yet? It will. He's a hero just for that. Oh man. Anyway, sorry. What's your? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, it, and it's it's one of those things where everything like everything that I've seen of Tom Brady in the 15 years that he's been a public figure doesn't seem to indicate that he's super politicized in any way. He doesn't really say anything controversial in the media. He kind sure. of keeps for how high profile he is and how profile how, how high profile his wife is because she's hot. Also, an immigrant. Mm, right? That's true. Yeah, I believe. Super yeah, hot she has an accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's from, she's she's from, from uh, Brazil. I've never been to. She's from Brazil. Well, she's Brazil. beautiful. Anyway, um, moving on. Yes, high profile. Like considering how high profile they both are, they lead fairly private lives. And again, he's never been associated with anything politically. And the fact that he was friends with Donald Trump for thirteen or fourteen years, as you said before all this, all this happened. It's it's weird because we all look, when we're judging Donald Trump, we look at it through the only prism we know how to, which is as someone who doesn't know him and who never really needed to have an opinion about him before now. And now we have an opinion about him because he's he's our president and our only opinions are of him as a politician because that all the other things he did didn't affect our lives. Mm. Whereas, for example, we're judging what Tom Brady is saying about Donald Trump. But for example, you would never ask, say, Melania or Ivanka Trump to say anything bad about him or critically ju- or critically judge his policies. Well, if Donald Trump's having sex with Tom Brady, that would I mean like Yeah. My point is it's not exactly the same, but Tom Brady's relationship with Donald Trump is a lot closer to Melania or Ivanka's relationship than he's it is to likely, my relationship with Donald Trump. He is more Trump. likely more to have similar. had sex with Donald Trump to turn his point <laughs> than I am likely to have had sex with Donald Trump. That's fair. Also, That's here's true. the whole thing. Why are we shocked? He's a rich white guy. Like, why are we shocked that he supports Trump? Wait, you're missing the whole point. Like, maybe he's supporting... Maybe he, he already said, I don't agree with everything he says and does. He basically already said... I don't, but I don't, I don't think... Yeah, that but that could be like, I don't like his choice yeah, and like, hamburgers. Yeah, like, I think he's got, you right. know, his suits don't fit well, which is true yeah. as well. Like, you know, and Tom Brady's got great fashion and a hot wife who's in fashion. Like, maybe right. that's his point. But I think that at the point where you are a role model to younger people and you're a role model and people look up to you, like, you do have an obligation yeah. to take a stand. You can't, even, and like, even if he says, like, I like him, then at least we know, like, he's a shitty person and we tell our kids not to look up to him anymore. But, like, he's just trying to get out of it and I don't think he can. And I don't really feel bad for him. What he has said in the past is that he's supporting a friend. Right. I would say, yeah, for me, I'm going to say that it's fine. Well, I don't know what he passed. I'm going to yeah. call it a pass because I don't like the Patriots, and this just gives me more reason to not like the Patriots. That's so. fair. I'm, I like him just being the evil. Like, right. you know, evil empire. Embrace it. Okay. Okay. Right. That's, um, that's I'm going to unequivocally fail him, which rounds up <laughs> three episodes, three solid fails, all based on similar reasons. Um, I just, I don't think that you get a pass for being a rich white guy. All right. And I, I don't um, give a shit about football, so I have no stakes in the in the game. Yeah. I um I think in the end I will pass him and this is <gasps> this is my this is my, <laughs> this, is my <laughs> this is my reasoning. This is my reason. good at football. No, no, no. Yes. No, this is my reason. <laughs> it's it's cuz he's I admit I was most likely looking for reasons to pass him because I like him and I'm a fan of his. Uh-huh. But I I just don't think you can underrate how much it does to your psyche and thought process to get hit in the head a lot because you play football. <laughs> that's actually that, another reason to pass that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I he's not fully formed as a adult. It's a good self-defense. <laughs> Sorry, I was just trying to be yeah. on your side here. <laughs> what it does to your psyche when you've had a relationship with someone for over a decade, 
and then and you've supposedly had interactions, had conversations with them, have have had important conversations with them. They've been in your life. Really, you think it, anyone's had an important conversation right. with Donald Trump? I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I read a story that. <laughs> Because uh, about five years ago, the owner of the Patriots, his his wife passed away. And according to the story, Donald Trump called this guy, Robert Kraft, um, every week for a year after his wife died. I mean, Trump's a hero. We all know that. Oh, my right. God. I keep going. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Just, so he just has in case you're wondering if Donald Trump ever, ever did anything decent, he allegedly person. did one thing. Yeah, what um, did he say? To like a billionaire. Like, what did yeah. he say on those phone calls? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, was he soliciting for cash? Because then it's less. I I have, I have no idea. I'm sorry. All right, no you idea. pass him because you. It was also, a great phone call. It was a wonderful you phone like, call. It was the best phone call. The history of phone calls. It was a lot. It was a lot better than that phone call with the uh, Australian Prime Minister. At least from what I heard, apparently oh. that was the worst. That was phone. the worst phone call of all phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> that was, and he talked to he, he talked to a bunch of other leaders <laughs> that day, and that was by far the worst call. Oh, things are going um, so well. Okay, so you uh, like Donald Trump? Would no. like to have sex with Tom Brady? <laughs> yeah. Got it. Next story. <laughs> yeah, <all right. laughs> let, me, let, let me finish it. Okay. okay. I, I don't. I think that when when you've had a somewhat close emotional relationship or a friendship with someone, I think it's hard for us to ask them to judge that person in the exact same way that we would. And also, I don't know if it's fair. I think it's fair for us to ask him whether he supports in public, whether he supports what Donald Trump is doing, but I don't necessarily think it's fair to ask him to publicly disavow his friendship. It's really good to know that if I'm friends with you for 10 years and then I do atrocious things, you'll stick by me. Like, that's what I'm taking as the positive from Loosely, if we play golf every once in a while? Yeah, like, maybe close. If if I've known you for 12 years and I, like, kill a man in cold blood, you'll be like, she probably had a reason. Yeah. And we used to do a podcast together. (laughs) She she can't do that. three episodes. (laughs) Yeah. Then we had a following. <laughs> Three episodes. Alright, alright. So two passes and a fail. All right. Yeah, Turner's our, our guests. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah we'll, we'll make this next part of the show, I guess, like a yeah. little bit about him. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, a little bit. But yeah, so as I was saying, for Turner at this point, primarily a professional comedian, but does some other. Yeah, some professional other. podcaster. Yeah. Lost in America. You can listen to it on yes. iTunes. I will plug myself. Okay. You should yeah. listen yeah. to Lost it. Lost in America. You it's one of it. two podcasts. That I listened to. Alright! Yeah. The other one is, is this, definitely. Is this one? This one? This one? <laughs> yeah. this one better be this one. The only two you need. I listen to this one because I have to like help cut it, right? So yeah. I definitely listen And if Tom Brady has a podcast, you listen to that. Too. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Um, yeah, and as I kind of alluded to before, you, you've lived here in China for 12 years, just yeah. recently uh, moved, moved to New York to do comedy professionally. Yep. And you, you know, were living in. Sujo for that that whole time, right? Yep. Uh, which is a, about an hour outside of Shanghai. Uh, yeah, it's a th- like thirty minutes on the train, hour drive, hour fifteen minute drive. Yeah. Like that. Um, and it was there that you started to do comedy, right? In yeah. Two thousand late two thousand nine was that? Yeah, December two thousand nine. We did the first ever open. I mean, as far as we know, maybe thousands of YouTube. First ever open mic stand up night. In China. Wow. Uh, December 2009. Yeah. And then um, it was basically just like, we didn't, I don't think we really realized. Basically what happened was I just Googled like comedy in China because my friend and I wanted to do stand up mm-hmm. and there was like some improv thing in Shanghai, not even like Joe Schaefer and those guys, but something that before them. I don't know what it was. Yeah. And then nothing else. Mm. And so we're like, all right, let's just like our friend opened a bar in Suzhou, uh, this guy from California. And we're like, let's just start a stand up. Let's just do one night. That's all we're going to do. Yeah. We did it, and it was uh, the first night. It was packed. It was, like, packed. I mean, free show, but packed. The guy sold a bunch of booze, and then he's like, all right, we're doing it every month. And then we just started, like, doing once a month shows. And we were god-awful. Were you really? Oh, my God. Because we're so terrible. No one – there was no direction on, like, what to do. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure that there were a lot of things that – even a year or two in that you discovered as just basics of comedy that you had no idea yes. about at that time. Um, Did you have a history of performance or anything? No. Nice. Nope. Nobody. I mean, I played bands. That does not count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I've written that off. Like in terms of being... Well, no, sir. I'm really accepting. 
performance, but no, no stand-up experience at okay. all. And no one, no one had anything. And so we're just like, let's do it. Like we didn't have so like basic things. Like we we would put like ten people on a show maybe, but then there would be no light. Like there was no amount of time. Anyone could just go on for as long as they wanted to oh, go on okay. for, you know? So it was like That's how they got it better. was like Parliament or something. We'd be like, ah, ah, ah and then like ho ho and everyone's just yelling. <laughs> and yeah, like hee 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 Oh my god. Until like you you just add a breath and then you would stop. Well it's better now. It's been what? Seven, ten, eight ooh, math. <laughs> how long seven, have I been doing? Years? Se- eight years. Seven years. Seven years. Seven years. Seven years? Yeah. 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 And so, um, and then like the first year, we did it once a month and there was no, I, there was no time limits on any people amount of time they'd be on stage. There was no, it, shows were free, so there was no like door guy or anything. So people would just kind of come in and go out, audience or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just chaos, you know? And then people would just be yelling at you in the audience like, not even heckling, but, like, literally, like, they, halfway through your joke, they would think of something they thought was funnier and, like, be yelling it. <laughs> and so half of what you're doing is just, like, shouting down the audience. And everybody was drinking. Like, everyone was hammered. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, well, I mean, that's, that's kind of an interesting experience because, at least for the most part in Shanghai, and now that the, the scene is more developed and it's been around and we have some real comedy rooms, you, for the most part, you don't see rowdy audiences. Most audiences are pretty well behaved. In Shanghai. I think we wish they were more rowdy sometimes. Go to Hangzhou. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, They're pretty drunk uh, in Hangzhou. Fair enough. In Bingjian or whatever. I don't know if you guys have been out there. But that's... We do some shows there sometimes. Um, But not as... It's still... It's close, but not as intense. It's just Because also the room was like... It was tiny. It... I think 50 or 60 people could fit in, but like 30 of those were standing. Mm. And so people are just like literally standing next to you while the platform is like six inches tall that you're standing on. That's all you have. And then like you're just yelling back at them. I am the center of attention. Yeah. Like yelling your way into the show. Yeah. You, you were just almost like the... It like did. The, yeah. And then it was also like we didn't have... There's no open mics or anything. So we did a show once a month. And it would be the, pretty much the same audience every time. So you're writing a new, like, ten minutes every month that you can never reuse. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, like, yeah. a nightmare. Well, that, yeah, and, and that's the thing I think that uh, I've noticed, and it was the case with me right when I started. And, I, you know, I haven't been doing it that long. But I think it's something that most people think when they start, which is not right, is that, like, you just kind of do something once. And if it's good, it's good. And that's the way it is. Yeah, you just leave it. You just leave it. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. people don't realize that it, how many that's... times jokes are crafted on stage and how many times you have to work on them to figure out if they're actually good, what parts are good. Totally. And yeah. you, for the most part, in a scene that's young like that, you don't get the chance to work on jokes at all. You just can't. Yeah. You can't workshop. And like I remember because um, we did that for a year, and then we met like I met Andy and Joe Schaefer and mm-hmm. Audrey and yeah. Morton. Yeah. And then they came out. The people that started the scene here in Shanghai. The people who started here, because they started about a year after we did. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we're like, oh, why don't you come to Suzhou and do a show with us? So they came out and did a show, and they all, like, did pretty well. And then afterwards, I remember Joe Schaefer apologizing to me. This is how little we knew. He's like, yeah, sorry. Like, we used jokes that we did, like, a week ago. He's like, we're doing it for the second time. He almost thought he was, like, cheating. Mm. Yeah. Like, we literally knew nothing about stand-up comedy. This is amazing. Yeah. It makes me view all of you in a slightly different light. I'm I'm relatively new to like um, stand up in Shanghai. I've been performing yeah. improv for uh, seven years, but okay. stand up I'm wow. pretty new to. Yeah. And like I got here and I was like, oh my god, these guys know so much. Like, cause guys, cause it's all boys. Um, <laughs> but I was like, these yeah. guys, it is all boys. It was not in Suzhou. It's like fifty. I know. I, I yeah. I'm rooting for vaginas out there. Um, but. I was like, these guys know, like, so much. Like, they know what they're doing. And it's, like, nice to be like, oh, just kidding. Like, seven no. years ago, they fucking didn't. Yeah, we didn't know anything. And then um, we also, like, so they started in 2009, 10, was, or 10 basically was just me and whoever I could, like, convince to do yeah. it. So I would, because the guy I started with pretty much left, like, immediately. Like, moved back to <laughs> Australia. Yeah. And so then it was, like, I was getting, literally getting, like, my roommates to do it. 
or like like drunks at the bar. Yeah. Like like this one sixty like sixty five year old guy. He would just do it every once in a while because I could convince him to. <laughs> and his like big joke was he'd wear like like an I heart BJ like oh, Beijing. Nice. Like that was his Good. joke. Like he was literally wearing his <laughs> joke. He was like, oh, look at the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I would laugh at that, and then I'd hate myself, and then I probably. I know it was myself. hilarious. Like, but uh, but yeah. Yeah. I used to wear one of the shirts when I uh, studied abroad in Beijing. 2010, I bought Did my older sister shirt? one of those t-shirts. You bought your sister <laughs> and brought it back to what us. What is wrong with us. you? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. All right. Yo, weirdo. Yep. Did they have those in like like the wife beater, like girl, like baby tees? Um, those are two different things. Just just so everyone oh, knows, are? a wife beater, wife beater and a baby tee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two very different things. A wife beater yeah, is like what a drug by... dealer in Miami wears, and a baby tee is what like your or like what you wear. A like like nice beater. button down shirt if you want. Uh, if you don't want to sweat through it. Yeah, but you don't really. Okay, all right. You should wear. It, a it's white normally tee. like a little bit meshy. It's I not totally solid, and it doesn't have sleeves. I feel like I ought to dress both of you at this point. Conversation. <laughs> like I'm a little worried about this. Are you disagreeing with me about I mean, a white beater shirt? No, is? I mean that's fine. But like, you can only wear a white. You can cut this monologue. You can, only, <laughs> you can only wear a wife beater under like an Oxford if the Oxford is of a thick enough fabric whoa, that whoa, you whoa. cannot tell that you are wearing a wife beater. Becca, what's an Oxford? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Okay, yeah. um, under a button-up shirt with oh, a collar. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Speaking of language, we understand. <laughs> collared shirt, I would call that. Oh, my God. I just, What's that, a millennial? Like, I'm not that fashionable. Just, like, <laughs> I like have an average should fashion I, Should I mention again I've been here for 12 years? <laughs> okay, um, never yeah, mind. Yeah, Ox- Oxford shirts were invented both? in 2007. That's why, you, uh, that's, why you, that's why he's not aware of them. Oh Turner is already married. It's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, you don't need to know how to dress yourself No, it's anymore. fine. It's just, you know what? I bet everybody else listening, like, knows these rules so I feel like it's just you two and I should I mean they might not know that much but they know that a wife beater is not a baby tea I think that (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the most important thing we need to uh... in graduating down it's like I know some stuff you know a little bit and Turner doesn't know (laughs) shit so (laughs) good okay so anyways this guy I think the the point that you were making is you were having a lot of trouble Finding people to do comedy with you in, in Sujo. No, I yeah, I would find people who would do it, but no one, they wouldn't do it like you guys are doing it. Right. They weren't like, hey, I'm going to do this and hope to get good at it. Yeah. They were like, hey, this is a fun thing to do when I'm drunk. Yeah. You know, and so it was no one who like actually wanted to keep doing it. It was just people who was like, yeah, this is crazy. I'll try this, you know. And so then when I met Andy and those guys like a year later, that was like the first people who were like actually interested in in continuing to do it and then that's when Michael Rene started okay. he started about the time I met them and Misha who both those guys started in Sujo oh, with yeah. me and the three of us in Sujo kind of continued doing it and after that initial year died down the problem is people like love to support something when it's brand new mm. but then when it's brand new that's when it's like no one's good at like with stand up no one's good right. yeah. if you're seeing 10 people who've never done before like we're garbage yeah. you know yes. and so it's not going to be it was more of a spectacle than an actual entertaining event yeah and so then after, like, people watching that for, like, once a month for a year, like, everyone just went away. And then we had to completely build the scene all the way over again from zero to the point where for, like, a year and a, I would say a year and a half, Misha, Michael, Rene, and I were doing shows. We started doing an open mic every week in Sujo. We started doing a light. A lot of times it was just the three of us performing and, like, five people or less in yeah. the audience. So when did that... Open that weekly open mic in Sujo officially start with you, Misha. And I would Mikey. say about the beginning of 2011. Okay. Yeah. So a little over a year after you had first first dipped your toes. Yeah, and even that took a year and a half until anything caught on. I remember one show we were doing in the Drunken Clam in Sujo, which is where we started. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I've heard about that place. I never got there before it closed, but I heard it's that. still open actually. But the guy sold it. Uh, oh, okay. To his ex-wife. Because I saw you guys were doing. <laughs> yeah. That's like an entire story I want to hear. They have them, have them on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that? Um, Can we? He um, moved to Philippines, but um, fuck it. He okay. So yeah, we're doing an open mic there. And uh, it's Michael, Misha, and I, and there's one guy in the audience, and he doesn't necessarily know he's in the audience. <laughs> he's sitting at the bar, not facing us, yes. like facing away. And at one point during my set, in quotation marks, because there's <laughs> one guy not paying attention, 
He turns around to me and he just goes, puts his finger over his lips and goes, shh. <laughs> like, not that you're not funny, just like, you're annoying. Be quiet. He literally didn't even know I was performing in any way of stand up comedy. And that was just probably. Just like ranting in a bar. With a microphone. Yeah. And that was like the low point, I would say, in my career. Wow. In comedy. Or anyone's career <laughs> in comedy, I think. Like, yeah, at that point, it's always better if you're just performing to an empty room. At a bar that. in China, shushing you. Shushing you on like a sleepy yeah. Thursday night or whatever it was. So, so why didn't you just like give up at that point, like out of curiosity? Because, I mean... Because the three of us liked it and because it was like getting a little traction in Shanghai. Okay. And so Andy and those and uh, Joe and Audrey and Morton had um, they didn't have a club, but they would do like once every two weeks or so. I think they would do an open mic once every two weeks, and then once a month they would do a show somewhere. And it was always like different locations, like yeah. different bars around town. And so then they would invite us in to do those okay and maybe michael and yeah they might have started a little later because first of all they would just invite me and maybe they weren't doing it i don't remember but anyway um yeah we would kind of come in and do shows with them and so then we just looked at it as like and i was coming in for like every open mic and so i'm like well any like stage time is good stage time basically <laughs> yeah and Definitely so you can get yeah and i was just doing it and then that would make it so like I would at least have something prepared for when I was coming into the. Oh yeah, okay. You know, and if I could like walk or like walk down the street or drive down the street and do an open mic, even if there was one guy shushing me, it was better than like. I would also then come into Shanghai, so. Okay. I don't know, because there was no reason not to do it. No one stopped us. I think that's the biggest reason that people I mean, do most things, right? There was no reason not to. We had nothing else going on. There was no yeah. TV. There's no entertainment. Like the best part about the and worst part about stand up is like no one can fire you, right? <laughs> You can't be fired from doing open mic comedy. I can yeah. see how that could be the worst part in certain stand-ups. Yeah, and that so I've you can get wish. really delusional. Yeah. Right, right. No, there, there's some people you there's see. Some like, people oh, I wish I could wish fire they them. could be fired. Yes, so of course. That's yeah, accurate. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I feel like that that in itself is kind of a, a, a big challenge that you guys faced is that the scene as a whole in in China was so new and in its infancy. Yeah. But even you out in Suzhou, you were just slightly geographically removed from what was becoming the epicenter of it. So you didn't quite have all the same resources that yeah. Shanghai was developing because the population wasn't as big, not quite yeah. not quite as many foreigners, not quite as cosmopolitan. Like it's just I mean, a, like a more of a difficult task to create a scene out in Suzhou. It was tiny, yeah. I remember reading, I mean, this was years ago, but at that time there was like 150,000 expats in Shanghai or something like that, and there was like 7,500 in Ooh. Suzhou. So imagine, or, and so imagine, like trying to start a comedy scene in a town in America of seven thousand five hundred people. <laughs> like that's what we were trying to do, you know. And our first year, but luckily, like I guess I like, but once we we kind of pushed through and started one by one getting a couple more people to join up in Suzhou, and then we got this group of like six or eight people instead of having like fifteen people who really were like not committed at all, just thought of it was like a goof. Yeah. We had like six or seven people who actually were committed and were doing it every week. Yeah. And then we just slowly over a year and a half of going from like zero, we get a few people to come out. And then at some point what we did was we started saying like, okay, well people saw Andy and Joe and Aunt. there was this whole thing when like second tier cities in China People will look at people in Shanghai and just assume they're better at anything. Mm. Yeah. Even if they've lived here for like a month. Yeah. Just like they're in that city, so they must be better. So the right. comedy they're, must they're, be better. They're, like they're in the big city. They've got their life figured that's out. That's it, which I'm sure happens in America too. Like, oh, if you're from Sacramento, in San Francisco, that's where we got to go. That's yeah. where they're yeah. – it doesn't make you funnier because you're from one city or another city, right? But they had that was there was that like view, and so we decided just to use that and say like okay, well once a month we'll have like Andy or Audrey or one of them come out. We'll get them to like bring. We'll say like hey, this person's coming out. We'll all and then everyone will do like ten, maybe they'll do fifteen minutes or something. But it was just a way to market it, and we started doing shows again, and then people would come out and they would see like oh you guys are funny too, and then we just like slowly built it back up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's impressive. and it pretty much worked. And Tammy would come do those. I don't remember if you guys ever knew her, but um, uh, her, her, but yeah, she, I think she left before I. Yeah, yeah. So they would come out, and we just built it that way. And then once we started doing the international 
shows. Yeah. In 2012, we started flying people out from the U.S., whatever, and that's when it just, like, blew up again. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure cause that's even that's orders of magnitude more impressive than getting someone from Shanghai. Like, getting someone from Shanghai yeah. is more impressive than someone who's just in Suzhou, but then getting someone from New York is like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. And we had, like, Butch Bradley come out first, mm-hmm. um, who, I don't know if you guys ever saw him, but he's just, like, him. crazy improviser who's wildly impressive on stage because he was, like, just... To somebody who's never seen, I mean, whatever, he's, he's good no matter what, but if you've never seen Santa before, and he's like, hey, you, and then he just talks about you for 10 minutes, you're like, yeah. what the hell? Like, how does this yeah, guy yeah, do this? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And, um, and so that was our, like, first one. And I think even then, because if you're selling a product that no one has ever, like, no one had ever seen, like, professional live stand-up before, yeah. and so we're like, hey, you were paying, so what we did was they were free, and then we, when we would have, like, Audrey or Joe come out, they'd be 50 RB. And then people were like, that even was like, took some convincing to get yeah. people to do that. But then they got comfortable at that level. And they're like, okay, well, if we're going to fly over Butch Bradley, we're going to charge like 150 RMB. And the yeah. first time we got like 10 people to come to it or something. Because mm. people just didn't know. Like, they're like, they couldn't conceive of something that would be worth 150 say, RMB. There's not like all that. It takes a lot of convincing even now. Like yeah. in 2017 in Shanghai, if someone's yes. like, come see my show, it's 150 RMB. I'm like, what do you do yes. that means I should fucking come pay like yeah. that? Yeah, and I mean, like, our, yeah, our headliners now are about usually 200 which is like $30 US, yeah. which is not cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah. It's, but I think what you're saying is interesting is people just don't really, for the most part, have an idea of what going out to a night of comedy should cost. Yes. And if people don't know what something's supposed to, co- to cost, you almost, like, a, if you're introducing a new product, you almost like need to tell people or educate people. And like, yeah. this is what this costs. Yeah. And also <laughs> they just can't conceive of how much fun it will be or if they like it. They're like, I don't know if I like comedy. Like if it's a basketball game, you know, like I don't like basketball or I do like basketball. Well, and imagine like, I'm at, well, I imagine it must be so much worse if somebody has seen like the world's shittiest open yeah. mic yeah. from 10 comics who don't know what stand-up is to then be like, no, this can be really fun. It can yes. be worth 150 and beer. They saw us like two years earlier and they saw essentially me and an entirely different crop of people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, but it, but they saw me two years earlier. So they're like, they suck at comedy because I saw them <laughs> two years ago. Yeah. And so then... What happened, the first one we sold like 10 tickets or something, but it was such a good show that those 10 people just like blasted it out and then the next one was packed and then yeah. it was like away we go, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's like just the, just the interesting thing because I, you know, for example, sometimes shows where you say, I don't know, like go to see a famous DJ or something. Yeah. I mean, they could charge easily two or three times as much as what we charge for an international headline. Oh, it'll be like 600 RMB. Right, and people are like, no, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It just... It's not really necessarily, it's like, oh, what value are they creating? People just kind of are more familiar with, like, okay, going to see a top DJ, that's what that costs. Like, yep. people just know intuitively. They've yeah. seen it or they've done it. Yeah. Whereas with comedy. Well, and the other thing we're fighting against in other in Shanghai, there's a lot of stuff. Like you just said, there's a lot of stuff that costs a lot of money. Yeah. In Suzhou, there was nothing. Like, 150, people weren't paying anything to go see anything. There was no live entertainment event except for, like, maybe a Filipino band in a bar that was free. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so, like, why would I pay money to go do something? And this whole thing of, like, if they're coming, there's also, like, if the guy's coming to Sujo, how good could he actually be? Right. <laughs> you know, like, they thought so yeah. lowly of themselves, yeah. these, like, expats in Suzhou. Well, I mean, if they thought that, like, coming in from Shanghai meant you were hot shit. Yeah, like, exactly. Coming in from the States, if you're rolling up to Sujo, like. And we faced that, like, when we started doing shows in Wuxi, mm-hmm. like, same, any new market we would go to, it'd be the same problem. Like, really? Like, someone's gonna come here? Like, it's that old... What's the old, uh, uh, the joke? The, oh, you talking about, like, the Marx Brothers thing? Like, I wouldn't, like, the... Thing about yeah, the, the Marx Brothers... Like, like, I wouldn't want to be a member of a... Like, a, be a part of a club that would have me as a member. Exactly. That's the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the same thing. Like, I don't want to go to something that would come to me. Like, why would it come here, you know? Yeah. And it was just, like, this whole... Um, like, I came in 2004 to China, and the expats out... Probably in Shanghai even at that time, but definitely outside of Shanghai. It was like this really like Wild West like gold mining attitude. I've heard that that description before though. That it, it was just like the Wild West. It was gold yeah, and I would say like gold rush because it was people were here it was like single men in their forties who probably like most were divorced and 
came here because of that. And like, I got to get away from my life. And then they got, like, they were here specifically to make money and all, and they hated their life here, but they worked at some factory that paid them like five times what they could make in America. And then at night they would just come into town and just get hammered. I'm so afraid of all of these people by description alone. <laughs> I mean, it was sort of fun. Yeah. <laughs> For you, I guess it was But I was 22 fun. being like, I, did, I was from like the new, basically the first of like your generation yeah. of people who were like, no, we're here to like make a life and like maybe try to start a business. Yeah. But before it was just none of that. And so these people, they're like, like the number one question we got was like, how many free beers do I get with this ticket? Like yeah. all they, they didn't think about entertainment. They thought about like, how can I get hammered the quickest? You yeah. Know? And when you say none, they're like, what the hell? Why would I do this? Yeah. But then you just kind of smash it over their head for a while, and eventually they're like... Also, we realize once everyone else in these little communities is going to the show, like, they'll go. Then that's where you get drunk, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just well, and I guess that's, like, the, the double-sided coin of it is there's, there's nothing, and people aren't used to going to anything, and there aren't that many people, but if you are the only game in town and you establish yourself, yeah. you're the only game in town... And, and even if there are only ten thousand people, if that's the only thing to do, you can maybe get a you crowd. You get a hundred of them. Or yeah, whatever. you can get a hundred yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah, 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 which is what ended up happening. Yeah. So I mean, I imagine once once that happened, you guys probably started to improve at a much faster rate once you with stand up. Yeah, with stand up. Totally, because then because also the whole reason why we did it was we're like if we can break even. And be able to open for all these comedians. Because even with working with Joe and everybody, none of them had done stand-up before either. Right, right. And so we didn't have anyone to learn from, you know? It's not like we could watch headliners or there wasn't anyone even like a year above us or two years above us who was a little bit better than us. Which is still, like, still, I mean, Shanghai is arguably like a much infinitely stronger comedy scene than it was like then now. But still, like... I started with going to open mics and I was like, cool, like some of these people are marginally funny. Like yeah. some of them, like I feel like I watched stand up tonight. Yeah. But then like when I started going to the headlining shows, it would come in and like I said, like I'd never really seen that much stand up. Yeah. I hadn't even watched it on YouTube. And yeah. I was like, holy fuck, like yeah. people can be really funny in 45 minutes. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, it would like floored me. I was like, wow, like those are the people that you like want to aspire to be. Totally. If you want to do comedy. It well, just, isn't it like the first time you see it it's like deflating because you're like oh wait I can never do that right (laughs) like wait be that funny like I think I have two connected minutes of jokes (laughs) I just did like 45 um yeah and then you get to watch if you can watch a guy like we would go out for like a week or something and you get to see a guy like five nights in a row I think like the biggest week of improvement I've ever ever had just from watching a stand up and then the next week I was immediately better at stand up was I was with Ari Shafir for a week. Mm. And what I learned from him was he was the first guy I saw doing jokes differently, the same jokes, but differently every single night. Mm. And because he was going back and writing during the day. Mm-hmm. He was like listening and then writing. And then you would see it like have three new tags or one part like wasn't there anymore. Yeah. And then it would be back like two nights later. And he's like, yeah, I'm just tweaking it to try to figure out like how to do it, you know? Yeah. Whereas like previously I'd seen guys who had their set and they just stuck to it all week. Well, and that's something fascinating about watching people come in to China because you watch these like incredible you know like new york professional and if they've even if they've toured internationally i feel like some people come into china and they just can't really hack the idea of an expat crowd sure like people laugh at different shit here china's like a different place to be doing well yeah and actually that's what i find is like the hardest part for me about going back to yeah, the u.s because I, I started in here the did you guys both start stand up here yep Stand-up, yes. Comedy, yeah, started, no. But stand-up for sure. And right so wherever you, what I'm learning is like the next step in comedy is but like being able to write not just for your scene but mm-hmm. for like everyone. And it's hard for everybody. Like I go to San Francisco and the, it's everybody doing San Francisco jokes or like Bay Area jokes mm-hmm. or maybe not just specifically Bay Area jokes but they're doing – what I find interesting is like when I've gone to D.C. and San Francisco – it's the same as performing in Asia here, mm-hmm. and then in I, here I performed like. So it's just an international s- crowd. It's a yeah. It's a more intellectual, more like worldly. Minded, it's a worldly yeah. crowd, right? And so like Singapore is exact. Anywhere you would go that would be an expat community, it's exactly the same as performing here. Yeah, they would get everything you're talking about. I mean, take out like the local China jokes, but anything, but. Um, 
And San Francisco and D.C. are the same. And then New York can be, depending upon, like, if it's a tourist night or whatever. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, then you have to learn how to, like, connect with people, essentially, like, Trump supporters. Yeah. Right? People that you don't have much in common with. And so that's, like, the next thing. So actually, I think everyone deals with that, no matter where you start. I know comics who start in the South, and then they're like, oh, I have oh. to make my jokes. I mean, I couldn't tell any joke that I tell in the South, because I'm from the South, and so much of what I write is heavily disparaging of it. <laughs> well, I know so. guys who are like that, though. Like, these three comics, the um, uh, liberal rednecks. Do you know those guys? I don't. They're good. Look I, them up. I should. Yeah. But, so then, but everywhere you start, you have to, at some point, bust out of that, like community or whatever Mm -hmm. and write for people that you have nothing in common so how were your first shows back in the states i mean i mean it's good it's tough yeah it's new york the thing about new york is uh it makes everywhere else seem easier Hmm. so i've performed people are mean right yeah i mean like it's just tougher you know like uh people half the time they're getting they're free shows and the people are getting barked in, which means that there's someone standing on the street corner being like, comedy show, comedy show, comedy show. So they're immediately like skeptical. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, do we want to be? They didn't pay any money. They're not invested. And they're like, do we want to be here? Half the time they'll stay for one comic and then leave. And so you're trying to convince them that what you're doing is worth their time, you know? Yeah. And so that alone, and it's a lot of tourists and stuff, which I don't mind, but um, that alone makes it t- a little tougher. But then... Some of the clubs are not that. Like when you get, I'm starting to get into some of like the more legitimate clubs, and those are e- everything. Then becomes easier, yeah. you know. And then I performed in like around California and DC and Philadelphia at ch- clubs where you're opening for a comic. Those are all like everything. It's easier, you know. Yeah. But you still have to figure out what material. Uh, you just have to sometimes explain more. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I guess so. after like one angry man shushing you at a bar in Sujo, like it can't be. Oh, it's not tougher in that <laughs> sense. It's like, <laughs> hey, I have this. It can't be tougher than that, right? It's not. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's all easier than that. Yeah. It's just like, hey, I have this two hours of material that I've written. Let's sift through it all. And you have to be ready for all of it to fail because you need to try and see what are they going to know and what are they not going to relate mm-hmm. to, you know? And then keep writing. Yeah, I mean, have you. Since this has become your full-time job, have you have you found that the way you feel about each individual set or how you approach it when you go on stage or what your mindset is about a given set going in, has it, has it changed when, like, do you think to yourself, okay, like, for the past five years I was doing this on the side, but this is what I'm doing now. This is what I do. Has it, has it changed anything about the way you approach it or just the way you feel well, about like it? Well, like that, like, two things. Yeah, mentally... It's a real. It's like it becomes a real mental game because so you have to not think of it. Like mentally, that can add pressure, right? Mm. That like, whoa, this is what I do now. Uh, but so you have to like constantly try to push out the pressure and be like, what did I think about this two years ago? Like I was just fun, you know. Mm-hmm. It needs to stay that way. But also, I do put. I mean, this almost sounds like uh, the opposite of what I just said. But um, I do shows every night now in New York, and so and sometimes like two or three a weekend. I do like four a night, four sets a night. And so then it does put le- like you the sets are disposable, like I I can walk into a show, do a set, walk out, and not give a shit about yeah, which is good because it it makes you a little more free to like experiment on stage. I feel like I can't do that with anything. I mean, I I like hope that I get to that point at some point, but like I can't walk into Family Mart and walk out and not feel like in some way like my performance is being <laughs> Okay, like, but what about you do uh, that live stream every day? Right? Yes, I do. I I do an hour live stream every day. So, it, but you get like super nervous before everyone? I mean, I don't get nervous before I perform at all at this point. I've okay. been on stage or on camera like so much that I don't get nervous, but it doesn't mean I don't like think back and think like, oh, I was like fucking terrible today. Well, I might do that too, but then like 10 minutes later, you're in another club doing another set. That's like, true. I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess, but in the sense of being no, I'll still, you'll still get into like little ruts, almost like a baseball player or something, where you'll have like a few bad days and you're like, right. what's going on? Like, and then you're like, did I, make, yeah, 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 yeah. did I make the right decision? And then you like snap out of it and you're like, oh, okay, I was just like, I like golf or something. You're like, oh, I just yeah. tweaked that a little bit. Now I know what I'm doing. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult. I think it's stand up to stay even keeled and not get too carried away based on the results of a couple it's, of sets. It's, it's a mental. It's totally mental. You have to just like, yeah, all, like really, I would compare it to golf. Like you have to just like always think like whatever. Like this is a, it's. Oh, guys, 
guys, we've come so full circle. We're back. Oh, back to golf. Back to golf. Emperor uh, our leader, Trump. Emperor Trump. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Back, back, Dictator back for to life. Golf. This is the second thing I regret so, saying. I mean, I guess we can, just to give people some, some background, I guess uh, you just tell them a little bit about what you were what you were doing in China, why you came to China, kind of why, what you were doing here before you started doing comedy. Yeah. So I had, um, I came here just to, like I was going to teach English for one year and go home. But then I stayed because I started an ice cream truck business. This is my favorite um, thing I've ever found out anyone. <laughs> it's called Mr. Softy Ice Cream Trucks from um, the New Jersey, Philadelphia area. And then eventually, like, New York. It's, there's, like, a, 250 trucks in New York City, I think, or New York State, maybe. And um, so we started doing that in 2006 in China, and I did that for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And we had 10 trucks that drove around the city, played music, sold Still soft serve. Still my favorite thing I've ever found <laughs> So out we had, like, dip codes, ice. banana splits, milkshakes. Um, <gasps> I even like ice cream, and I love this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really, you know. Yeah, and then... So I guess it was, it was kind of a convergence of, of two things, you know, at the end of it because it, it kind of ended because you were you were having some issues with with the government, right? Yeah. So they what happened? They they really liked what I did. <laughs> they really liked my business to the point where they decided, why don't we just make this our business? Yeah. Oh. And so they took um, my well. So what they did was initially people came to work for us who um, I didn't realize at the time were connected with local government officials. Okay. And then those people would work for us, and then they would start stealing from us, and then I would fire them. And then once I would fire them, like a month later, they would have an ice cream truck that looked exactly like our truck, and they would park right next to our truck. No. And the thing was, it took like three months to build these trucks. So it was like, if you do the math on that, they were it was a plan, like all along, yeah. right? Yeah. And also, um, I spent the first year, I spent... We didn't have. It took us a year to get the business up and running, because we needed. Th- this had never been done before in Suzhou. Uh, really, not much. There had been some guy in a couple trucks in Shanghai, but that was a long time before. And um, so basically, we were doing something brand new. And so we had to get permits for mm, these trucks. Yeah. And so we had to convince the government, and I had a million government meetings where we were like showing them videos of trucks driving around New York yeah. and even Japan and like everywhere, just showing them that they're not going to be like running over your kids. Like yeah, that's yeah. not the goal. Maybe. And uh, and so then we got these permits, but it was like impossible to get. We got them right after a year, and then these guys just like boom, like, and we had to. We were getting audited every year. We had to report income taxes, hygiene licenses, all these licenses really like strictly watched. These guys just popped up. They had no business. They had no business license. Um, but yet they could roam freely, which was curious, right? Yes. Yeah. Curious is one word for it. Yeah. yeah. And they would park right next to us. And when we would tell the local government, like, hey, we're not asking you to do anything illegal. We're just, we pointed out that these guys don't have permits. They're, they don't have hygiene licenses. They're serving ice cream that is not – they're serving food to the, your public, and it's not being checked by anyone. Right? Yeah. Um, you might want to look into this. And they were like, ah, it's, well, we'll look into it, but nothing would ever happen. Mm-hmm. You know, Eventually we found out that they were being funded by local government officials. Oh. And then um, that's when uh, our permits, our permits got taken away. Because we, we were complaining to them so much that like we have permits they don't. Just enforce your own law and fine them or kick them out of the district because they don't have a permit. And so the solution was, well, we'll take yours away. Now you don't have permits either. I mean, the logic there is sound. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I'm actually writing a book about this. Yeah. yeah which uh, I'm not too far off in. I'm going to be looking. I've and like almost done with the second draft of the book. But, um, nice. So hopefully sometime this year it'll be out. And uh, it tells the whole story. But so then the way it ended was they decided, well, yeah, they took our permits away. And they're like, now you're illegal too. So you can't complain to us anymore. And then they just start finding us every day that we would go out. And so then we just closed the business. Oh. Yeah. And now they do it, still to this day. It was my favorite story. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm the only person that didn't actually know this story that was oh, really? sitting here right now. I kind of yeah. knew it because one time someone was like, yeah, Turner's ice cream business. And I just nodded like you do. Yeah. You're like, mm-hmm, yep, I'm in the know. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't really, I didn't know. So it's the first few years they didn't give us any problems because like we weren't doing that well because we were learning how to do it right you're right. like you're kind of coming up and then once it started really kicking in that's when they took notice and they're like oh that sounds great we'll take that yeah so I mean has has writing this book 
kind of been a therapeutic experience. Yeah, it's yeah. cathartic. Yeah, yeah, totally cathartic. I started writing it like the day after we closed our business. <laughs> You're like, all right, shit finished... experience writing a book. Yeah, and I finished the first draft within three months. Wow, um, that's actually pretty good. Just like kind of blasted it out. Yeah. And then um, I'm going, now I'm like second draft. And uh, yeah, it is so. Even like going back through it every time, it's like, oh yeah, like it's... Because most of it's, like, two-thirds of this book is building the business. Right. How I built it. And so it's, like, mostly, like, a fun, happy story, you know? I was with it until then. And, uh, so, yeah. and so even, like, writing, rewriting, rewriting the story, like, the, the little stories that happen on the way up are all, like, cool and fun. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, that, that was fun. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, ultimately, it was... read the first two-thirds of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, when you were looking through it on the second draft, since you had written the first draft when it was so fresh... Yeah. Did you have kind of any visceral reactions looking at it? Like, you could see how raw your emotions yes. were? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And some of that I'm leaving in, some of it I'm editing out, because it doesn't... Because uh... the way I wrote the first draft was um, just don't look back. I didn't go back to edit at all, mm. which is what, the way I was told to do it, and it was totally the right way to do it. It's because you get bogged down in the edit, the self-editing, yeah. and yeah. so you just literally write every day, and like I mapped out one page on an Excel sheet, like 20 bullet points, and that was the outline for the book, and then just wrote every story, you know? Yeah. I, I mapped out like 20 stories, and then just wrote Had you off. ever Have you ever written before? Like, are you, Would you count yourself as a writer? I was a journalism it? major in college. That doesn't really answer my question. <laughs> I mean, I wrote a ton. I'd never written a book before. Okay. Uh, I'd written for newspapers and magazines. Right. She's like, eh, okay. not in I don't, I don't, oh, I am not, not Sorry, not millennials need a blog for it to be. Writing for a newspaper <laughs> doesn't count. <All> right. <laughs> it's been published in many publications. Pull your fucking jets, <laughs> Do you have a... No, I, I do not I have, like, just, a Tumblr, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> I love this. Um, Turner and I are obviously really close. Um, no, I mostly admit you meet a lot of people, like, who will say, like, oh, like, I write stuff, but their meaning is that they have a Tumblr. So I was no, just I don't curious, have... I was just curious if you, like, counted yourself as somebody who wrote, or you just, like, had a really good story to tell, and that inspired you to, like, go into writing. So journalism no. major kind of answers that question. I would say I have a education in writing. Yeah. And uh, so like you know a history of writing, but I hadn't done it in a while. Okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, like, but yeah. it came back pretty quickly. Okay. I wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like daunting to. I guess that's, right. I guess yeah. that was more of my question. Was yeah, like, yeah, wasn't yeah. daunting. <laughs> no. yeah. It was more like they actually were great everything. <laughs> <laughs> Give up. Yeah. I'm the youngest person in the room, so <laughs> I can't really mm-hmm. win. So I mean, so kind of the. The, the failure of your business was a, a pretty yes. a big a big catalyst. I mean, the business failed. Everything failed. I can tell you, actually, going back to journalism, my senior year of college, they they were like, a, a degree in journalism, and they were like, hey, raise your hand if you know what a blog is. And no one did. We didn't know what it was. And they were like, oh, it's this fun little thing people are going to start doing soon. And we little did we know that would ruin our entire industry. Yes. <laughs> my degree was a failure. Oh. <laughs> and then I started an ice cream business, which ultimately became a failure. Um, but I, would, I mean, like, you could look at it as a failure. You could also look at it as, like, 10 years of experience of running a business, which yeah. you have for the rest so of the that, So that is kind of like a takeaway that we sort of ask people to, to think about towards the end of stories. It's just like, what is your attitude towards failure now? Like, I would say everyone should fail. Like, I don't consider it a failure. Right. Um, because I now have things, like I'm writing a book about it. I'm going to do speak. I've done speaking about it already. I'll do more, like public speaking. Yeah. Um, and then also just like contacts and people I can, people who, when I meet people, other business people, they, they know the story or if they've heard, if I can tell them the story. It gives you a little bit of like, like grounds to get into new business. I don't know. There's right. a lot of things I can do now that I couldn't have done before. So I don't look at it as a failure. Like, um, I really, if anyone, if you try or take a chance at anything, ultimately it's not a failure because you have all these new skills now that you never had in the past. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it ultimately was the catalyst that pushed you on the career path that you're on now, you know, doing stand-up full-time. It was, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, talking about ice cream. And I mean, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, no, that, that's something I've always <laughs> no, been, right, been curious. Right. Well, it, it made me be like, okay, I need to move. Right. But in New York. But I, I'm always kind of curious, like with you, what was the overlap 
kind of in time where you were still doing the ice cream business, but where you thought in the back of your mind, I could do comedy professionally or I might want to do it. Like how long ago was that where you kind of started having those thoughts? Um, not really until there was a time when I was like, I want to keep doing both, but I always thought whatever. And I was like, uh, Andy would always be like, you're really more into comedy than ice cream, aren't you? Like in the middle. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I was like, I'm gung ho on both, you know? Yeah. And for a very long time, it looked like the Mr. Softy business was going to be huge. Mm. Um, and so I was like, I'm, I'm going to, I'll do that. If, if that, ha- if the next step happens, like I'll go full on with that, you yeah. know, and I'll keep doing comedy for fun. But once it, the minute, like I was sure that Mr. Softy was going to go away, I started booking tour dates in Asia because mm-hmm. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And so I just reached out everywhere. And I had already done, I had done like those Hong Kong festivals a couple of times and did yeah. okay. And so like I had a bit of like a name in Asia, like, you know, yeah. and so it was enough to be like, okay, I'm just committed to this now. Yeah. Um, That's still like that, the idea that you had to pick between comedy or ice cream. It's just a beautiful... Yeah, he's giving us the light. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think we... See, oh, picking between comedy and ice cream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but this... Po- see, that we're already advancing faster than the Sujo comedy scene. <laughs> so, like, we have a light. We have a light. We have a light. Also, we have serious cuts we're going to have to make. Because we have, like, 12 years. Yeah. No, but this, oh, okay. this was... No. This, 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 this was awesome. Thanks Thanks yes, so much for taking so the time. Thanks for having before, me on, guys. Before, yeah, you, um, sure. before you head back to the U.S. And Great. Yeah, and listen to my Lost in America podcast. Yes. Listen to it. One of the two podcasts. Fantastic. And turnersparks.com have tour dates up there. Yeah. If everyone want to come see me perform. Cool. Or come out of New York if anyone lives there. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. yeah, definitely, you know, best of luck with everything you're, you're doing in New York. And you guys, and yeah, thanks. Yeah. And watch the live stream, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, if you're interested, I live stream every single day. And go to Ben's office and just watch him live. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just just sit and watch Ben stuff on the computer. Yeah, come watch yeah. me live stream. Come watch Ben live. <laughs> um, but yeah, awesome. thanks so much. Cool. And, uh, thanks, guys. It's been uh, the Failure Show. Until next time. Bye.